0: Welcome to the fourth episode of Talks with Dollar. My name is Akshita Maheshwari, and I am the content and growth lead here at Dollar. We have with us Varun Fatehpuriya, the founder of Dollar. Dollar is a tech-enabled, all-in-one solution for Indians to invest better and reach their financial goals. Before Dollar, Varun also worked with some of the biggest investment institutions like Bloomberg and Blackstone. He graduated with distinction in finance and information system from Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. He is also an NSIM certified investment advisor. We are glad to have you here with us, Varun.
1: Thank you for having me once again, Akshita, today, and I look forward to this podcast.
0: Thank you. So today, we'll be discussing about how to invest internationally. A lot of people want to, uh, you know, allocate a part of their funds to international uh, funds, but they don't know how exactly to go about it. So uh, let's have a discussion on that and let's try to understand uh, and get some more clarity. So Varun, uh, first and foremost thing, could you tell us something about why we should uh, invest internationally?
1: Sure, Akshita. So I think mutual fund uh, or even investing in the capital markets definitely... uh, took a big shake up in the last two to three years due to COVID. A lot of people got into the markets primarily uh, wanting exposure outside of the traditional financial instruments like a fixed deposit or a bank deposit or a PPF and all of those things, right? And because they saw an avenue, which was, I would say, much more efficient uh, than other asset classes where they were traditionally invested. And... Domestically, a lot of the investors had done just fine, right? I mean, they were investing in mutual funds or stocks, uh, whether by themselves, whether through a distributor and an advisor. And through these pooled investment vehicles, obviously, they got exposure to, I would say, instruments that were not easily accessible, let's say, even five years back or 10 years back. Now, that's on the domestic side of things where, uh, obviously, people tend to have a home bias. Uh, People are well aware of the companies which are listed in the stock market. So whether they want an exposure to uh, to that directly or indirectly uh, is secondary. But because they are familiar with what's happening in the Indian economy, what's happening with the Indian companies, they are much more, I would say, at comfort, at ease to take uh, and invest and participate uh, in the growth of those companies. But I think people also due to that tended to shield themselves in into a box where they were not looking for opportunities outside of the domestic region. And I think that's where exactly uh, investing internationally uh, comes to the forefront. Uh, so there are primarily, I would say four key reasons why you need to invest internationally. And I would take the help of the slides that we have prepared for the benefit of the audience today uh, to guide you through as to why you need to keep uh, investing internationally outside of the domestic markets and how that could potentially, I would say, uh, help you diversify your portfolio. Just allow me to share my screen today. Yeah, great. So as I was talking, uh, definitely international investments are becoming a greater portion of an investor's portfolio but there are four key reasons why you need to invest internationally. Number one, and most important is diversification. Um, And diversification in and by itself is not something that will, I would say, guarantee you profits or guarantee you returns, but it will give you exposure to industry, it will give you exposure to asset classes, to geographies uh, outside of the traditional markets of India, right? So, think of it this way, rather than putting all of your eggs in one basket, what you're effectively doing is putting these eggs into multiple baskets, so that no one single basket or your entire portfolio is actually affected in a similar manner by the same set of events. So for example, let's say something like a COVID which had come or what we had seen in the last uh, one year of the 2022 volatile market, right? Indian markets performed really differently from the markets in the West, in the US, in the Europe, where they were down drastically, but the Indian markets were sort of shielded in a much better manner. So that's number one. Diversification gives you access to industries, gives you access to asset classes and geographies, which are not available today in the Indian markets. And at the same time, making sure your portfolio is well diversified across different asset classes. So that's number one, diversification. Number two is protection from currency depreciation. So as an Indian investor, um, most of the Indians, I would say, are used to uh, their currency being depreciated against the major economies like the US and the Europe. So by investing a small portion of your portfolio internationally, you are also, number one, hedging your currency exposure. And number two, potentially benefiting from a depreciation in the rupee itself. So let me give you an example. Let's say if you were to invested invest uh, 100 rupees uh, outside in the US markets um, at a 75 rupees uh, INR USD exchange, Once, uh, uh, so, so, so that would have bought you an X number of stocks, uh, let's say, three years back. Now, if the currency depreciates to 80 rupees, that same set of dollars now will give you a much higher rupee return. Right? So what you are seeing effectively being paid out here is by being invested in markets where traditionally we have seen that the Indian rupee has depreciated against that currency, you stand to actually benefit from that depreciation. So that's number two, protection from currency depreciation. Number three is ability to generate higher returns. Uh, I think some of the biggest uh, companies in the world are not present in India today, right? Think, for example, biggest technology companies. And these companies had done exceptionally well during the bull run of 2020 and 2021, right? Uh, Delivering returns in excess of 15 to 20%, even at an index level. So it also allows you to basically invest outside and be able to generate much higher returns than what you would be able to get in the Indian markets. Having said that, that is not always the case. There could also be times where Uh, those markets tend to significantly underperform. But at the same time, because if you are investing from a longer term point of view, you can very well be assured that you will have a much rather smoother investing journey by being invested in markets that do not perform uh, in a similar manner at the uh, same time. So, uh, that's number three, ability to generate higher returns. And number four is access to different industries. As I alluded to previously, some of the biggest uh, companies in the world. Uh, That could be technology companies, that could be semiconductor companies, that could be biggest financial institutions in the world. Consumer companies are perhaps not present in India. So this also allows you to get exposure to companies, allows you to get exposure to industries which are not present in the Indian markets and stand to, again, potentially benefit from that. So these are the four reasons why we think you need to invest at least a certain portion of your uh, equity portfolio uh, internationally.
0: All right, Got it now that it's clear that there is an incentive to invest internationally for these reasons the next question that obviously follows up is which are the countries in which we should uh, you know invest which are the markets
1: so akshita i would say three of the biggest uh, countries and geographies which typically we have seen most of the investors actually tend to go towards are us china and europe and the reason for that is obviously these economies, these geographies tend to be a lot more mature, number one, and then there is an existing ecosystem present in those countries where you could take exposure to the capital market. So obviously Europe and US uh, tend to being developed economies, developed geographies, have a much easier set of capital markets where foreigners could come and invest money. China tends to be a bit different uh, where you need to typically take exposure to any of the economy, uh sorry, companies that you want through a fund, but at the same time there are a lot of funds uh, which are domiciled offshore through which you can take exposure to high-growth Chinese companies. So these are basically the three economies which we are seeing currently uh, popular amongst investors. Having said that, that is not to say that other, uh, I would say, geographies or economies are not well represented. Uh, It's just that there is a certain level of familiarity uh, with these economies, given their transparency, uh, given their level of reporting, given their, uh, I would say, standards, uh, due to which people at least want to uh, get into these countries. I think that's more applicable for at least US and Europe. China definitely still has a lot of catching up on the transparency and the regulatory point of view, but people still want exposure to that economy given that it's the second largest economy in the world and uh, you really need to have China uh, uh, if you're investing internationally at least a certain uh, uh, percentage. Again, what allocation that you have to each of the economies really depends on the kind of exposure, the kind of time horizon, the kind of view that you have in each of these uh, about these geographies. But... uh, these three, uh, I would say, uh, economies uh, are most well represented in our country.
0: Okay. So, Varun, uh, could you please tell me a little about the allocation of the equity portfolio? Like, for people who are planning to invest in bra- internationally, what is the ideal allocation? Yeah.
1: So, again, this is really important, right? So, once you have decided that you need to invest internationally, once you have decided that this is something that you want to do, now we need to understand what portion of your portfolio actually needs to be invested in these funds right i think when the markets are really performing uh, with the bull market run that we saw in the last two three years everyone everyone wants to increase their exposure to these uh, i would say uh, funds and uh, geographies and countries but the moment we see a downward trend is when we start to realize uh, you know maybe we need to take a step backwards so rather than doing that why don't we uh, let's say on day one itself have a an exposure out of our equity portfolio Uh uh, and carve that out for international exposure Uh, and that's really sort of like I would say a good spot so what you see in the screen is basically a sample 80-20 portfolio right where 80% of your money is invested into equities and 20% of your money is invested into debt out of that 80% you could allocate roughly about 10-15% to of your money uh, into international funds and the balance 70% can be um, I would say, invested uh, domestically, whether that's through mutual funds, whether that's through direct equities, that is uh, for you to decide. Uh, but about having a 10 to 15% exposure from a diversification point of view, from a risk management point of view, uh, is, I would say, a good rule of thumb. So try to keep, uh, I would say, your international exposure anywhere between that, but also see that if you are able to take that uh, sort of a risk by investing uh abroad because sometimes the market could you know be really volatile uh, outside as well
0: okay so uh, I mean what exactly are the options that are available to us you know to invest internationally if you could discuss a little on that
1: so there are primarily I would say two options that are available to investors uh, in India today right you could directly invest uh, in the stocks uh, of international companies so let's say for example you like Apple, you like tesla you like google you want to get an exposure to these uh, companies just like how you would buy a stock of a tcs or a reliance uh, or a hindustan Unilever in india you could pretty much do the same way uh by investing directly uh in those stocks so that's number one where you are taking your own decisions and you're uh directly investing in those companies the other and a much more i would say efficient way from a tax perspective, from a cost perspective, are international mutual funds, uh, which are present in India today, which allows you to get exposure to, I would say, funds present outside the countries. That could be US, that could be Europe, that could be China. And those funds In turn, basically, then further invest in all of those international companies. So again, similarly, how you would invest in a domestic mutual fund, which further invests in different stocks and companies. These international mutual funds also, which are present in India, you have to invest them in a similar manner as you would invest in a domestic mutual fund by parking your money uh, in rupee. Uh, And then the fund house doing the rest by investing either in mutual funds outside or in exchange traded funds uh, outside. So these are basically the two options. Uh, And this is how basically the process for direct stocks looks like, right? So you, as an Indian investor, first need to open a foreign brokerage account, right? Where you need to put in INR and convert that into USD. So you need to also be sure of the currency conversion charges that you are paying on every transaction, right? So let's, let's say if you want to buy 1 lakh worth rupees of uh, stocks in the US markets. So first, you need to deposit 1 lakh rupees, convert that into USD, add the uh, conversion rate, whatever the brokerage house charges, and then use that brokerage account to further invest in. Companies outside. So it's very similar to, I would say, investing in companies in India where you need to open a DMAT account. But in this case, you need to be opening a brokerage account with a foreign broker uh, and uh, making sure your account is funded in uh, USD and not INR. So that's the process for direct stocks. The process for international mutual funds tend to look a bit different where you are investing in INR and giving that money to an Indian fund house. So let's say if you want to invest in NASDAQ, which represents uh, the 100 biggest non-financial companies in the US. So what you would effectively do is just how you would invest in a domestic mutual fund. You put in 1 lakh rupees into this fund house, uh, and then the fund house takes care of the rest, where they basically uh, do the conversion, then invest in mutual funds or ETF units outside, and the redemption process also pretty much looks the same that once you want to basically redeem your investments you typically put in a redemption order and the money comes into your bank account in and are and not usd so as you can see i think both of these uh investments option tend to look a bit different from a process point of view uh, that is for you to decide again at the end of the day uh that if you're more on the risk-taking side, you could pro- probably play around with direct stock, but you want something which is a much more easier manner of investing, then international mutual funds are something that you could easily consider.
0: all right, So, you just discussed the risk, the risk aspect of both these options. But if you could uh, elaborate a little on, you know, the pros and cons for both these options uh, for our audience.
1: So, again, the pros and cons for, again, both of these options look very similar. Um uh, compared to, let's say, uh, investing directly in Indian stocks or domestic mutual funds, right? Uh, with a bit of a caveat in terms of the restrictions that uh, the regulator, the Reserve Bank of India, has placed on uh, international investing. So direct stocks uh, tend to have, I would say, three major pros. right? Number one, there is a flexibility in stock selection. You could obviously select uh, the stocks which you like, which you think would uh, perhaps uh, do the best over a medium or a long-term period. And then there is a customized portfolio construction as well because the entire onus is on you to actually select stocks and then go about with the portfolio construction and you're not sort of depending on any of the fund managers to do that. So you have complete control over how your money is being invested. Uh, and number three is the lower holding period for availing uh, beneficial taxation when investing directly in stocks. right? And this is something that will come uh, at a later part in the episode where we talk about how, Uh, I would say both of these uh, processes are taxed differently. Uh, But this is something that you need to keep in mind and be very mindful of because tax and brokerage and currency charges can actually significantly eat into your returns. So do not just look at returns uh, at a pre-tax, pre-cost basis. Always consider that given that you are actually remitting money outside. Uh, to be able to actually come to a final decision. So that's on the pros. I would say one of the biggest cons for investing in direct stocks is the costs that are associated uh, with currency, with brokerage uh, on every transaction that you do, right? And a lot of the people actually do not take into account. So I would definitely urge you to actually think about all of these costs before taking any decision. Number two is RBI has placed an upper limit of $250,000. So that's roughly be about what crores that you can invest uh outside uh annually, uh right? Uh so this could uh be let's say if you're a parent, you have sent your child abroad. I think this you also sort of like come into the liberalized uh remittance scheme where there is a cap of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars right? So there is definitely an upper limit beyond which you cannot actually um, I would say, remit money apart from a few cases. And number three, which came in. Uh, at the most recent budget is there is a tax collected at source of 20%, right? So let's say if you're investing 100 rupees or if you want to invest 100 rupees, the 20% will actually be deducted and you can only put 80 rupees to work, right? Now, this 20% is effectively not a a tax in the sense that you can always uh, claim it uh, when you file your returns, right? But uh, that's, that's basically just adding another friction, Uh, and putting less money to work. And this is something that I would say definitely is hefty uh, uh, and that something would deter a lot of people uh, from actually directly investing in stocks outside. So that's basically the pros and cons for direct stocks. The pros and cons for international funds are a bit different. Obviously, I think the pros are that there are much lower costs due to no currency, brokerage, and all of those charges. Just like how you would invest in a domestic mutual fund investing in domestic companies, you just do that in a similar manner. Where you uh, put money into a um, mutual fund here uh, and just pay a small expense ratio. Number two, obviously, it's easier and hassle-free. You don't have to worry about all of these transactions with that single, I would say, investment account. You can invest domestically and internationally. You do not have to worry about, you know, opening separate uh, brokerage accounts, uh, then funding that account with INR, converting it into USD, uh, then 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 basically investing outside. And number three, is uh, there are no upper limit NTCs on transactions. Right? There's an upper limit as an industry level, which has been met at $7 billion, but there is still room at the ETF level for you to invest. So, I mean, typically, for uh, as an end investor, it doesn't really matter, uh, right, so long as you're getting exposure to those uh, uh, companies. And on the cons, obviously, I think, the same set of forms apply that would apply to a domestic mutual fund, that there is no flexibility in stock selection. Uh, obviously, there is a higher holding period to avail beneficial taxa- uh, taxation. And there's an industry-wide limit of $7 billion for investing in units of international mutual funds, which has been breached last year. And uh, ideally, the regulator, I think, is working at this point in time uh, in increasing that uh, upper
0: limit. Alright, that definitely clarifies a lot of things. Uh, But um, could you probably talk about, you know, some taxation norms related to these options uh, that would be really helpful for the audience?
1: So this is something that's really important for a lot of people to understand that taxation actually plays a key part in your decision making. You absolutely need to understand how taxation works before you able to Uh, take any of the decisions whether you want to invest in direct stocks, whether you want to invest in international mutual funds, right? So as uh, you could see in the screen and for uh, people tuning in through the podcast, who are not able to see. Basically, direct stocks are taxed very differently from international mutual funds, right? From a longer term capital gain perspective, the holding period at a direct stock level is two years. So, after two years, basically you're taxed at 20% post indexation. Indexation is simply adjusting the cost of the purchase to inflation. So, the effective tax rate after two years will come at about 14, 15%, roughly. Short term capital gains, again, that's under two years. That's if you basically sell stocks uh, before two years, so you are taxed at whatever slab. Uh, that you're taxed at mar- the marginal level. Uh, dividend income, again, is taxed at whatever tax lab you are. So, that's at the direct stocks where the holding period is of two years, right? So, anything over two years, you're taxed at 20% post-indexation. Below two years, you're taxed at your marginal tax lab. International mutual funds are different in that they are taxed as debt funds in India, right? And not as equity funds. So, again, the holding period here is three years so if you want to avail that beneficial taxation of 20% post-indexation you need to at least hold these funds for three years and if you sell these funds prior to three years then you're taxed at your marginal uh, tax lab so this is something that you need to really keep in mind that direct stocks have a little bit of an edge over here due to the favorable taxation and the holding period of two years compared to three years for international
0: mutual funds understood Well, you've holistically explained uh, everything about, you know, investing internationally. But if there were a few points that you would like to reiterate to the audience, what would they be?
1: So, again, there are three points that I would like everyone to remember and take away from uh, this uh, podcast Right, Number one, invest based on your overall equity asset allocation. Just because something is looking, I would say, attractive from a return point of view, do not go overboard on that, right? always try to stick to a level which you are comfortable from a risk point of view so as i pointed out again from an equity portfolio perspective having an exposure of about 10 to 15% to these funds would suffice uh, at a portfolio level number two is consider the tax implications for all of your investments i think that's really important a lot of the investors actually tend to miss how tax actually significantly impacts their returns so take a look at the taxation and do not get into the habit of actively joining portfolios, because that could be detrimental to your returns. And number three is keep a close eye on the impact of brokerage and currency charges. So always keep that in mind, uh, because that could also have a significant impact on the transactions compared to, let's say investing in mutual funds, because uh, again, investing in direct stocks tend to, uh, I would say impact, uh, from a brokerage and a currency point of view. So these are the three things that you need to keep in mind when you're investing in internationally.
0: Uh, got it. Uh, Varun, if possible, could you, you know, tell us something about the uh, top, you know, um, funds to invest internationally?
1: So this is something that I had kept for the last, right? And again, this is something more of a trivia where we talk about the five biggest international funds in India today, which are invest- investing internationally. And as you can see, I think I would say five out of five invest in U.S. Given I would say the depth of the markets over there. So the biggest fund in India today, which invests internationally, is the Motilal Oswal Nasdaq 100 Fund of Fund, which has an assets under management of over three thousand crores, right? So this fund effectively invests in a fund outside, uh, which further invests in the Nasdaq 100. And I think as you can see, four out of the five funds are actually passive index funds, where they are taking exposure to the U.S. markets uh, through a Um, index fund, uh, and only the second fund, the Franklin India uh, uh, feeder uh, is a bit different because again, they they have a bit of a mix of a growth and value, but again, five out of five are funds which are investing uh, in the US market. So I hope this sort of like gives you uh, how far along we have come in the process of investing internationally, uh, given the depth of the market, but there is definitely significant uh, amount of uh, headroom available in front of us to that.
0: I definitely got to learn a lot today and uh, I hope so did our audience. Thank you so much and I'll see you again next week. Thank you so much everyone for joining.